Welcome to the Physician Associate Podcast. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Physician Associate Podcast. My name is James. Today I'm joined by two guests, Sarah and Helen. Uh, yeah, so I'm Sarah Howarth and I work at the University of Leeds in the Institute of Medical Education. I coordinate and evaluate physician associate student placements and I'm also involved in bits of lecturing and research as well. So I'm also a doctoral student doing some research on PA training. And I'm Helen Millot and I'm the programme lead for physician associate studies at the University of Leeds. And that involves having oversight of the physician associate programme. But it also means that I was there in 2015 when the course started. So I developed the course and we're now in our seventh year. So we're doing really well with that. And that is my main day job. So there's five PA schools in the region. There's the University of Leeds. University of Sheffield, Sheffield Hallam University, there is the University of Bradford and there is the Hull York Medical School and we all have physician associate students at our universities and we're spread pretty much across the whole of the patch so Yorkshire, Humber is a really big area geographically. So yeah it is a very huge patch and I think we have around um, usually between around 25 students don't we Helen? Um, yeah. up to 30 but I think all programs in the region have around similar numbers as well so we probably have around about uh, yeah 125 100 125 students in the in this region year one students and then doubled for including year two. Sarah do you want to start us off by talking about what you're looking at in terms of PAs in the research you're doing? Yeah so I can kind of start from the beginning so to speak so I've been here quite a little while as well uh, so I started as a research assistant in 2016, beginning 2017. And at that point, I was funded by Health Education, Yorkshire and Humber to do a couple of pieces of work. The first one was they wanted to know, obviously, with the programmes being so young at that, at that point, only a year old, you know, who was coming on to these programmes? What kind of courses had they done? What undergraduate courses had they done? What jobs were they coming from? Were we pulling from existing NHS pools or were we pulling in new a new area of workforce? Those types of things, age as well. So that was the first piece of work that I kind of did was looking at all the application forms for the five universities in this region that Helen's just explained and kind of going through them. From those numbers, you could see that, that 68% of them at that point, so we had 268 PAs between 2015 and 2017, and of those, 68% were kind of in the age bracket of 21 to 24. So we could see that they were coming straight from that undergraduate degree, or they were kind of doing a year of experience and deciding that they wanted to come and do a physician associate studies course. But we also had 19% of them um, in the kind of just under 30s bracket, and then actually around kind of 12% that were 30 plus, uh, which was an interesting finding. Then in terms of where these students were coming from, the 51% of them were coming from Yorkshire, uh, which is obviously important in terms of retention and um, keeping the students in the in the local area. But then 14% were from the northwest, 10% from East Midlands, and the rest were from a variety of areas. But predominantly students coming on our programmes are from the Yorkshire area. Uh, 71% female, 29% kind of male, which is pretty normal for healthcare programs. So medicine is around about 60, 40, I believe, 70. So kind of similar on that on that line. And then 83% of them had done just an undergraduate degree. And interestingly, 16% of them also had a postgraduate degree. 
So thinking there, obviously, around funding and being able to, to fund yourself on a course like this when you've already done a postgraduate degree was interesting to Health Education England. And then what was the un, undergraduate um, degree? So 47%, I'm sure you might have seen this yourself, James, um, 47% were, uh, had completed a biomedical science undergraduate degree. Um, so that's really where I think all our physician associate students are coming from. There is a, an array of others, though, that, that students come on with from kind of clinical sciences, medical sciences, biology, chemistry, those types of areas. Uh, but really, the background to our students on, on our courses are, are biomedical science. Then, interestingly, is uh, they wanted to know around healthcare experience. So are they coming on with healthcare experience or are they coming on with nothing? Because that really informs part of the curriculum as well, like how much do they already know about the NHS and um, the way things operate. So in fact, 42% uh, of those at that point anyway, um, had paid healthcare experience, uh, predominantly kind of healthcare assistant roles, biomedical scientist roles. And I think that's probably something that we've seen ourselves on the programme at, at Leeds when we've kind of spoken to students is that quite often students have done maybe a year in a lab or something and thought, I want to be patient facing. Um, I want to be in a more communication role. So they then pick up the, the, this programme. So that was kind of the beginning of profiling the PAs and what a PA student looks like and where they're coming from uh, for Health Education England. That was the first piece of work anyway. And then after that, it then became a bigger study. So, yeah, so in, in 2017, we recruited that um, cohort of students and they completed a survey and then we followed them up for another four years. So we had in total five years of data. So we had the first year that they were a student, we asked them some questions, the second year that we were a student, and then the th first year qualified, second year qualified, and third year qualified. And in terms of the questions we were asking in that first year, we wanted to know things around well-being, burnout, expectations of the course, placement experience, caring responsibilities, attainment, things like that. And then in survey two, it was similar, but we added in professional identity. And then in survey three and four and five, it became around kind of work experience, employment, but keeping on those kind of well-being and burnout ideas there. Yeah, so that's still ongoing in terms of we're hopefully going to analyse the uh, first cohorts or that first year of data right up to the fifth year of data this coming summer. Uh, but what we have already uh, published is around the first year's data so that we had 89 students in the region complete that first survey and we had some interesting findings from that so some of them perhaps are unexpected so first around placement experience so 45% of students said that the staff didn't know about the role and 61% said the staff didn't know about clinical work uh, what clinical work they could they could undertake which is obviously very important when you're out on placement um, I think that that has kind of changed now a little bit as PAs have been employed in the workforce. But at that point, that's where it was at. Interestingly, as well, in that first year, uh, just under kind of half of students could be classed based on the tool that we use as having poor well-being and, and kind of potential psychiatric disorders. It sounds quite serious, but it is quite a sensitive tool. But this is a really interesting thing to think about when we need to understand more is, is this well-being side of things. Obviously, as we see the, the data progress, we'll be able to see is it, you know, does it increase or decrease? Because certainly with medical students, it increases as they go through the years of their program. So for, for physician associate students, does how does that well-being kind of fluctuate? And also when they're qualified, what happens then and, and how does it stand? And um, certainly in comparing it to the medical student 
levels of well-being in that first year. PA students far had poorer well-being. So, you know, it's, it's certainly something that we need to, to think about. And particularly then with the next kind of finding, which was around engagement. So we were looking at what factors influence PA student engagement and found that students were more engaged if they had greater well-being and were happy with the career choice that they'd made. And also, interestingly, though, if they had no caring responsibilities. And this is something that we then began to think about a little bit more closely, because obviously a lot of the programmes in, in the country really are set up within medical schools. And quite often, a lot of the support mechanisms come from, come from already existing support mechanisms within the school. And it's, it's thinking around the demographics of the physician associate students and are they slightly different to the demographics of other students that we have within the schools. Certainly, if we compare to, to medical students, there is an indication of more ethnic diversity with PA students. There's more female students, slightly potentially, and more caring responsibilities. So thinking then, how do we engage and make sure that we're supporting our physician associate students. If this is the case, do we need to think about the different mechanisms that we can use? Um, and then do we need to be to be closely monitoring that and thinking about over time as well, thinking about retention within the NHS and things um, around what our physician associates and qualified physician associates needs are really. So that was the first year of data. And then we're really looking forward to kind of seeing what comes out of the next next few years when we manage to look at the whole whole. Um, data set and see kind of over time what's happening and um, following the kind of same cohorts over the years, but also looking at different cohorts at different time points uh, to see yeah, where those differences are really. Brilliant. Thank you. So I guess one of the big findings when I read your paper that stuck out to me was students feeling that staff didn't know what a PA is and what a PA can do. Is that something as a course director as well, Helen, that you noticed with your students? And I guess my question is, who and what should we be doing about that? I think as the profession gets more and more embedded, it's a lot easier for our students to feel that the staff and the healthcare professionals that they're working with do know what they're doing because we have physician associates now practising in the region, which is something that's so important for role modelling for our students, but also being ambassadors for the profession. So we're quite lucky in this region now because the trust, the big trusts have taken this on and they have employed quite a lot of physician associates. So the majority of our placements now in the big trusts, there are physician associates practising. So they're able to be role models for our students, but also spread the word about what physician associates can actually do. And we've got lots of evidence that there's really good practice going on about how physician associates are becoming embedded in the multidisciplinary teams around the region. I don't think it's a surprise to us that the students felt that the staff didn't know what they could do and what a physician associate was. One of the big challenges that, that I faced when I started with the physician associate programme was education in terms of the practices, the trusts that we were asking to take on our students about what a physician associate was. That was really challenging for me because I'd never worked with a physician associate. I didn't really know what a physician associate looked like. So this was 2015. There were about two or three in the region. So we had a big piece of work to do. And still today, there are pockets of 
um, areas that don't know what physician associates can do and don't know how they fit into the team. But we're slowly getting known around the region for the brilliant work that the physician associates that are practicing are doing, as well as our students. Um, We had a clinical leadership fellow working with us for a couple of years, and it was around the time that uh, Sarah started, it might have been the year after. And he did some really interesting work about how physician associates are viewed by doctors. Um, So I think the paper was entitled, So What Can You Do Then? Um, And some really interesting stuff came out of that, actually. And a lot of it was from junior doctors. We were trying to look at the junior doctor issue that was in the press at the time about physician associates taking away opportunities, people not really knowing what they can do. So we we did a little bit of work on that as well. So it's it's interesting, but it was a big issue to start with. And it still is an issue, but it's less so now than it was. Sarah, in your paper, you talk about how sometimes physician associate students feel like nobody else understands the role um, and levels of understanding of what a PA is can be a factor of how well their placement goes, how well they're supervised and what they learn whilst they're on placement. It's a real point of interest for me in terms of what PAs think their own identity is and how that should develop in the future. And you use the term disciplinary tribalism in your paper, which really interested me. Yeah, so often disciplinary tribalism comes into play when you're thinking about things like patient safety issues and um, interprofessional working where people often stick within their tribe. And it's seen very strongly in healthcare um, because you've got things like hierarchies and and strong professional identities um, within within NHS settings. So it can be quite damaging in that people then don't communicate across their tribes or or really see how they can work together for for the benefit of of patients, sometimes, obviously. Um, And... and, um, and that can then lead to, to issues later down the line. Um, so it can be damaging as much as it can be obviously really beneficial to have uh, an identity and to feel a part of something. And it can be reinforcing. Um, uh, it can be beneficial to, to, to well-being and, and support and things like that. So it can work in both ways. And I think this is interesting in the development of physician associates because they obviously don't have that yet. They don't have that sense of tribalism. I think there's particular things around, say, knowledge. Uh, and quite often there is a, an ownership of knowledge. Uh, I'm a doctor. This is my remit. I do this. This is my knowledge base. I'm a nurse. I do this. Um, and then PAs are, are being kind of plonked in the middle of this, working across some different remits. So there is the, the knowledge from different kind of tribes and different professions that, that, PAs, uh, that PAs have. So, yeah, how this is going to develop in the future is very interesting. I think it can be very challenging. And perhaps, James, you can come on this yourself when you're um, if you're a solo PA working in a, in, a, in a clinical area and who you're role modeling off and who your um, colleagues are and who you're working alongside. Uh, can, it can be a challenge to, to know where you fit and who you um, associate with. Yeah, so I did my um, dissertation for my master's on professional identity formation in physician associate students. I did it earlier on in the programme formation. So what was really interesting about it was that there were no physician associates particularly in practice at that time. So 
students were looking to the year two students as role models, but also looking at their GP supervisors and the advanced nurse practitioners and the practice nurses, because this was in first year students. So they were looking to all sorts of different healthcare professionals to think about how they formed their own identity. And as Sarah said, it's very hard to form a strong professional identity when you don't have people that look like you in practice. So it would be interesting to sort of revisit what I did probably four years ago now to see where our students are now, because the evaluation we get back all the time is how brilliant it is to work with physician associate graduates and how it really helps them shape who they are. One of the things that we did, um, and I know that other programmes have done it as well, is implement a mentoring scheme. So our year twos mentor our year ones. Um, And some years that works really well, some years it doesn't work as well. Um, But I think the year, both the years do get quite a lot out of it. And I think that Again, strong professional identity is really key to working well in healthcare. But one of the other things to say is that you have, instead of associating with your own profession, there's also vertical tribalism, I suppose, where you associate yourself strongly with, say, if you're in a cardiology team, your team cardiology, rather than um, identifying with a respiratory physician associate, you identify with the uh, an AMP in cardiology or the consultant or the registrar in cardiology. So there's all those kinds of things at play too. So uh, professional identity formation is so complex. And I think that physician associates are now getting a strong professional identity because of the numbers that are actually practicing now. And I think that's really key to professional identity formation. And it's interesting when you think about the way that PAs then go into practice as well when they're newly qualified. And there's lots of different ways of students being integrated into settings. So they can quite often rotate around different specialties or they can also be go straight into a substantive post in, in a, one specialty. And that's also really interesting when you're thinking about pro- professional identity formation in which one is, is better or which one creates a stronger identity? Is it kind of moving around and seeing PAs in different specialties in different areas and working in different areas and seeing yourself as a generalist potentially or going straight into that substantive post um, and building your identity within that setting? And it's interesting, obviously, different professions have it um, have different training programmes once qualified. And PAs have a range of different ways of training in certain settings. It's important to recognise, isn't it, that there isn't a specific training pathway for physician associates, whereas, say, if you're a junior doctor, we know what an F1 looks like and we know what that rotation looks like. We know where they're going and we know whether or not they're going to, you know, at the end of those two years, they they go into a specialty, potentially, more often than not. Whereas with PAs, it can be quite challenging to find your place once you've graduated as well it's not just being a student where it's challenging it's when you're practicing too I think you're absolutely right I think no two PAs look quite the same even a PA in acute medicine in one hospital might be quite different to a PA in acute medicine down the road and I think it 
is a result of the services and the consultants and the pressures and the opportunities that are available where you are, what you exploit when you're working as a PA there. One of the other things that really interested me in your paper was you did some work, and I think you alluded to it earlier, you did some work on well-being for the placement students and you found that almost half of them would be classed as having minor anxiety or depression on your scoring mechanism. And comparing that to first-year medical students and first-year PA students, it looks like PA students score a lot higher. Do you think that's as a result of the intensity of the course? Is that the type of person that's becoming a PA? And I guess, what should we be doing about that to look after the PA students? Yeah, it's a difficult one. Obviously, we we can't know for sure uh, why that's kind of happening. But I think, yes, there is obviously huge financial strain on becoming a PA student and becoming a PA. Uh, the, the courses are expensive, so I think there's a lot of pressure there. The, the courses themselves, obviously, there is a lot of content. It's a lot to learn within the two years, and there's, a, I think, a lot of expectation and, and a lot of pressure that the, the students put on themselves to get through the programme. So I think part of that feeds into it from the get-go. I think that their expectation is that they need to be hitting a certain point and a certain level. Whereas for medical students, obviously, there's a bit more of a slower build. Um, I think it's important to to recognise sort of the demographics of our students when we're thinking about burnout, because often our students come in with a lot more life experience. If you look at a typical uh, medical student, I mean, there's no such thing as a typical student, but you know, the majority of them have come from school or they've taken a year out and they've they've come when they're sort of 19. And often they have a lot less responsibility at home or outside of university. I'm sure Sarah will talk about that in more detail, but I think drawing parallels is quite tricky. I guess for me, one of my thoughts is there are some PA courses that run an entirely didactic year and then an entire placement year. And there are some courses that run a block of placement next to a block of learning. And I guess one of the interesting questions in my mind is, is one or the other better in terms of student well-being and reducing anxiety and stress? That's a very interesting question. Um, I wish I had some research to back that one up, James, and answer that one for you. I think each programme, yeah, does make a deliberate decision about that. I'm sure Helen could kind of say why we've made our decision around doing kind of one day a week from the beginning. I think it's important that we do, that our students are exposed to clinical work early. Um, I think it's important that they can embed what we're doing with them on campus, not necessarily on campus at the moment, but remotely in some circumstances. I think if they can add that onto lived experience, it's a lot easier because you, quite a lot of the time you have abstract concepts and it's really hard to understand how that works in a clinical setting if you've never been in one. So I think it's important from that perspective. I also think it's important for them to feel like healthcare students. And if, they, if they're if they not clinical, sometimes they they it feels very distant and they have different outlooks on their experiences. I think one of our students, in fact, said recently, didn't they, Helen, that they kind of chose the pro- our programme because they wanted that exposure right from the beginning. And I think speaking to providers on the other hand as well and speaking to them, they really enjoy the fact that they can help a student develop right. Because for ours, it's longitudinal one day a week from kind of week three, week four programme right through to the summer. So they kind of have 33 Fridays with, with that student and they can really help them to progress and 
that see what their individual learning needs are and work really closely with them. So that in fact, the, the providers, uh, the GP uh, providers have really enjoyed that and found that useful. And then the students themselves, from feedback that we've had, have also found that really useful. But yeah, as you say, each programme kind of has a different direction with it. And perhaps we need to collaborate on that and, and, and see what our own kind of findings are on each of our programmes. It's important to say across the region that there are very different approaches. I suspect a couple of us have didactic years, not necessarily, not completely didactic, but compared to being out on blocks of placements from early on in the in the course. But definitely, there is a wide range across even uh, Yorkshire and Humber. I suppose for any PAs students that are listening to this, they'll recognise this. For anybody who's thinking about applying to a PA course, is think about your type of personality and what you might enjoy and find the course that might suit you the best in terms of geography and course setup and structure and support services that are there for you when you need them. Okay, thanks guys. Were you thinking about PAs that have to look after people in their private life? Our care is for kids or parents and that kind of thing. Yeah, so there was two questions in the survey. One was around caring responsibilities for children and one was around caring responsibilities for adults, appreciating that there is a difference there. Um, and some have one of those and some have both of those. And yeah, the, we explored, I don't think we anticipated anything coming to come from that, really. I think it was just one of those to just explore, really, the, the demographics of, of the cohort. But in fact, yeah, we found that there was a really strong link between having caring responsibilities and being disengaged. Um, and that that was really interesting and something that needs further exploring. I think the in terms of the whole cohort, it's around 16%, I think. So there was quite a quite a number of, of individuals that had caring responsibilities So and, and higher than other programmes. So I think just in terms of what can we do around that? I don't know, Helen, what do you think in terms of putting in programme support for these individuals? It's really challenging, isn't it? But it's something that clearly we need to think about when looking at engagement. I think it is challenging. And I also think it was a bit of a surprise for us because we hadn't considered it as being an issue beforehand. I mean, we knew it was an issue with our students sort of anecdotally, but once Sarah had got the data back from the study, it was really striking. Um, And a lot of our students' support does centre around helping and supporting students with outside caring responsibilities. And again, the support networks and the support mechanisms weren't necessarily geared up for that at the moment. And a lot of that is changing. Um, it's particularly the University of Leeds, we are very aware that students, not only physician associate students, but lots of different students have all sorts of caring responsibilities or other responsibilities, family responsibilities that aren't necessarily labelled as caring responsibilities. And we try really hard to sort of support that. But also recognising that that support might not be available once they're practising or able to be accommodated when they're on placement and things like that. So I think we need to sort of help to manage expectations of our students as well. And that's really important. But we've done a lot of work on it on our particular programme, because in terms of widening participation and those kinds of aspects. I think it's important that we get every every person that wants to be in healthcare into healthcare and they need the support there to help them to do that. 
So in terms of what it feeds into practically, it would be things like placement allocations. So if we find that information out early on, we try and think about ways that placements can be closer to, to home if those responsibilities are there. Obviously, lots of discussions with personal tutors and making sure that that support is, is strongly met there. And then just a lots of signposting as well, I think. Um, don't we do that, Helen, where just make sure that they know that there's other avenues of support out there for them. But yeah, further exploration is needed, I think, because it does feel like it's a different student group. I guess the lived experience of being a carer, being a parent, having your own children, whatever, it makes that PA able to relate to patients that they're looking after themselves as well. So it should be, we should be encouraging people with those skills and those lived experiences in that background to be the best PA that they can be. Like said, Helen, anyone who wants to be in healthcare needs to be able to access a way into work in healthcare. Difficult situation as well sometimes to balance the two. It is very difficult, but I think we've navigated it reasonably successfully with a lot of our students. But we also have to recognise that the things that we can mitigate for and navigate in an education setting isn't necessarily what can be put in place in a practice setting. So in a healthcare setting, we need to manage expectations of students, staff and placement providers to work out what is what we can do and what we can't do. And I think that's really important too. Absolutely. And what works in the in the modern world for modern employers as everything's changing with COVID and digital consultations and the use of technologies, what can be done perhaps was different than even a couple of years ago that what we would have expected is normal. Exactly. And it's changing all the time. I mean, there's been a huge shift in the last couple of in the last 18 months, hasn't there? So students being able to access teaching sessions that they may not have been able to access and would have ended up missing because they can dial in from their living room. But the flip side of that is that they may be in situations, domestic situations, where that's not possible. So it's better for them to be able to come onto campus because they can leave the situation where they can't dial in, where it's quiet, there's nobody walking in and out, the house isn't full of people. So there's a flip side to it. And it's true of everyone that's working remotely. It's not just students absolutely guys thanks so much for talking to me today i guess to finish on i'm just curious as to what are you going to do next where does the research go next what are you going to do with the findings that you've got at the moment to influence what happens in your region next um so obviously we've got a lot of data to come from this regional cohort study and hopefully we can kind of see these changes over time covid will be an interesting one um, because that'll be a factor that will influence a couple of the years of data. But so, yeah, we'll hopefully be able to see how a PA student has changed over the last three or four or five years. Um, we'll be able to see um, well-being and how that changes over time between being a student and being a practitioner. Um, so lots of different things like that that we hope to, to pull together some findings on and, and speak to placement providers. Perhaps there might be ways that we can influence the curriculum and different areas of support we can put into the program. Uh, so hopefully lots of different outputs around um, what students' needs are, what qualified PA needs are, uh, and changes that we can make for the better. And I'm also undertaking um, a piece of doctoral research. So from that, I'm looking at what happens once PAs are qualified and working in acute trusts. 
what is the, the training pathway for them. And from my experience of coordinating placements and being a part of this program, I've seen that in our region, there's lots of different pathways. There's some that rotate, some that go straight into substantive posts, some um, that um, kind of go to surgical areas and medical specialties. So lots of different things are happening, lots of different kind of training programs and, and sessions and expectations are in place. So, so for that piece of work, I'm really wanting to unpick some of those different pathways and speak to the PAs themselves and speak to some of the employers at the trusts and see what their, their ideas around that are and, the, and why they've done that and the experiences of it as well and the different documents and, and, and um, resources that are being used. So from that as well, I hope to be able to, to feed that into to the development of these training pathways, like regionally and possibly nationally, and, and find out what PAs are wanting themselves from a training pathway in acute care and kind of what the employers are thinking around that too. Brilliant. Will you come back on the podcast in a few years' time and tell us what the results are? I'll be really interested to know. Absolutely, yeah. Hopefully there'll be a lot more to tell you at that stage. (laughs) Thank you. Um, And if people have heard this podcast and have questions or want to get in touch with you about some of the things you've just mentioned on your research, are you happy for them to get in touch with you both? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, more than happy to speak to anyone about physician associates. Perfect. Thanks, guys. And I'll leave your contact details in the show notes of the episode so people can find it on their device there. And thanks to you for listening as well. I hope you found that chat really interesting and I hope it sparked a few ideas of what you could be doing as a physician associate if you've got an interest in research. If you'd like to get in touch with me, I'm on social media at PA Podcast UK and I hope you'll join me again for the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Physician Associate Podcast.